You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First Timothy chapter 6 this evening. And as you're turning there, I just want to say thank you to our, our church family for uh, just the way that you bought into the, to the Lord's Supper service on Sunday night. And uh, you came prepared for it and really uh, took it seriously. And uh, it was a special night to remember the death of Christ. And, uh, and it was just something that you, you know, you, you have to, I have to, I trust the Lord, but I have to trust that you will follow the lead and will say this is serious enough to us too. And uh, it wouldn't have made that kind of a difference if it was just me thinking, oh, this is serious. Um, it requires a whole church getting on board. And I just say thank you for that. And those are the, just the little reminders of, of what I'm thankful for, for here, here at Eastside. Is, is it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a lot to get you to get on board with things. And uh, at least outwardly, thank you for getting on board with things. And I don't know what you talk about when you go home, but don't tell me. Okay. Um, I, I'm thankful for the unity we have as a church. It is special and I'm grateful. And so 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll start. And um, I will read this and then we'll, then we'll come back to it here in a moment. Uh, it says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. Some pretty good advice if you, your boss is a Christian and there are people at your workplace that may not be Christians and you and your Christian boss, you ought to have a good attitude toward them because other people are watching that. And a very practical advice here has nothing to do with the sermon. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting, and that word doting, it means sick, it means unhealthy. So there are people that, that ask good questions, and there are people that ask questions that are unhealthy, they're they're trying to stir the pot, and that's the idea. He says, but doting uh, about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And that phrase is one that we'll focus on, supposing that gain is godliness. And if you turn on TV preachers today, then you might be convinced that if you're godly, you'll, you'll have plenty of gain. You'll, you'll have health and you'll have wealth and you'll have lots of stuff if you just give to my cause or give to this channel or, or if you do right, it's health and wealth. And that's not doctrinally accurate. So he says, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Turn the channel. That's today's vernacular. 
Don't watch it. But godliness with, what's the word? Contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain, because we're independent Baptists, we, we will carry nothing out. No, it is certain we can carry nothing out. Doesn't matter if you're Baptist or not, you don't get to take it with you. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith, what's the word? Content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and in many foolish and hurtful lusts. Um, have you seen the casinos around Sioux Falls? Have you noticed the, 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 the kind of, uh, maybe you don't, but it, it leaves people in the wake of destruction. Uh, because it's promising gain and it's promising um, riches and it's a snare to people. And it destroys people into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We'll stop our reading there but I want to focus on the thought of contentment again at least for one more week and you're going to be surprised at this title okay it's going to really blow your mind okay god is more than enough so that's really good i've never heard that before let me write that one down well if it keeps coming up then obviously i think the lord keeps us wants us to keep learning it and there's an important lesson here tonight that I think if you'll pay attention to, you'll get. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth already, and I'm thankful for it in my own life. I pray that you'd help us to be humble and submissive to your truth. Help us to respond. God, help us not to just hear and think, well, that was nice, and then go our way. God, help us, like we hear in the book of James, to be doers, not hearers only. And I pray that tonight you would help us to learn these things and and to help, it, help us to change when we're approached with, with feelings and thoughts uh, that we need something more than what we have. God, we, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I've noticed the theme and the preaching, and I already gave it away, but you have too, I'm sure, that the phrase has re occurred repeatedly, God is enough, or some other form of that phrase. It came up in James a couple of months ago that God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. And it came up in Genesis this past Sunday and that when it comes to forgiveness that I have enough from God. I, I, don't, I won't demand anything else from you. You don't owe me anything. God's forgiveness is enough. It's definitely been a theme on Wednesday nights and as we've been going through this study from Quieting a Noisy Soul by Jim Berg and once again tonight that thought will be our focus and and so to this point though in our series uh, we've been talking about the way down how how we get to this place of unbelief and it's about rejecting what is true about God and it puts us in a position where there's a gap between our reality and what is true about God and we fill that gap in with all kinds of unhealthy thoughts we fill that gap in with things that are untrue and our, our own ideas and our own fears and, and worst case scenarios and like we heard last time, the what ifs of life. 
You know, there's something that's true about God, but I'm living over here, and when there's a big gap, then I like to fill it with questions like, what if? What if this happens, or what if that happens? Or I fill it in with phrases like, well, if only. If only I had that, then I could, I could be more content. And, and God gets left out. And, and, and if you remember the, the flow chart, we're not going to look at it tonight, that it starts with unbelief, that God is, is not enough for me, he's not doing enough for me, and I need something more, and it creates in us this discontentment, which is a lust for more, and it becomes the basis for those temptations in our lives. If, if we think I need something more, then I start looking for something more, and then the lusts of my, my sin nature are capitalized on because I'm, I'm thinking incorrectly, and I think, well, if I need something more and I see that, well, maybe that will give me what I need. And I find we find ourselves giving in to those temptations. And then as a result of discontentment, then we're filled with anxiety. What if I don't get what I need? We're filled with anger. I'm upset that I don't have enough. Or, or we get filled with uh, despair. I'll never have enough. Well, tonight I want to focus really on why contentment is better than that. Because it is. And it, it, contentment compared to that and thinking contentment is excellent. It's much better. And in 1 Timothy right here, Paul is giving lots of instructions to his son in the faith. You might call him Timothy. And he, gives, he deals with false teachers. We already read it. I'm not going to go back through it. But he's basically saying, be careful of those that teach things differently than how Jesus taught them. And, and if you look at verse 5, it says in, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. You know what I thought of when I read that? I thought of Romans 1. Because in Romans 1, they see the truth and they reject it and it turns the truth of God into a lie and they become destitute of truth. And they're no longer filled with truth because they rejected it and they turn that into a lie and they just spiral out of control. What's well, the same kind of people Paul's talking about here? Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. And then look at this. He gives us a glimpse into the thought process. He says, supposing that gain is godliness. So he says, you've got to be careful of these people out there that are preaching something that's not true they're destitute of the truth. They have corrupt minds and they suppose, supposing that, that gain is godliness, he says. They suppose, they think that if you are godly that you'll have more. They think that, that if you give God your life then your problems will disappear. You'll have all the money and the wealth and the stuff that you could want, it's, that's gain. And Paul said, from such, the people that teach and preach that, which by the way, not everybody on TV is a teacher or preacher you should be listening to. And if they're teaching or preaching the health and wealth gospel, Paul says, turn off the TV. Change the channel. From such, withdraw thyself, he says. And then he goes on in verse 6 and says, but godliness, here's a contrast, but godliness with contentment, that's great gain. So they say that godliness is great gain. Paul says that if you're godly, it will produce in you contentment 
And he says, and honestly, that's great gain. That's worth far more than what they're promising. And, and just in, in just reading then, some, well, actually, I don't want to skip the last two verses. He says, for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Now, I mean, if us Americans could just learn those verses, those truths. I mean, he, he says, if you have food and you have your physical needs taken care of, you should be content with that. And yet, you know, you drive past people's houses. Uh, I mean, I do this on Sunday mornings when I'm driving in and there are people up and they've got their garage doors open and our garage looks the same way. And there's more stuff in there than garage. There's more stuff than there is garage. I mean, the fact that there's a, a giant storage unit building built right at the end of our road is a sign of the times. That we, we as Americans don't buy into this, that food and raiment is good enough for me. That my basics, that that's good enough. And if I have those, I'll be content. There's a Puritan named Thomas Watson, and maybe you've read this book. I read it years ago, but The Art of Divine Contentment. And he says this, the doctrine of contentment is very superlative. Until we learn contentment, we have not learned to be a Christian. See, according to Thomas Watson, which I, I believe it, after, especially after reading what Paul writes here, is if you're a discontent person, that is about as far away as being a, from being a Christian as you can be. The spirit of a Christian is contentment. And what he and Paul were both saying is contentment is the result of Christian maturity. Uh, Paul wrote in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit and it's love and joy and peace and meekness and gentleness and long-suffering and goodness. And I, I got them all out of order, but you know those. And the fruits of the Spirit, those marks of maturity that will bring a person to the point of complete contentment in Jesus Christ. If you are filled with the Spirit and He produces in you the fruits of the Spirit, it, it can't do anything but make you content. If you're discontent, then I would, I would say that you are not a, a fruit-filled spirit. Uh, sorry, spirit, you know what I'm saying. You don't have the fruits of the Spirit in your life. Say, so, well, spit it out. Well, have the fruits of the Spirit, okay? You know, if we don't have the fruits of the Spirit in our life, if we don't have contentment in our life, I mean, how can we claim to be Christians? That, that may be the primary mark. Um, some people would say that the fruit of the Spirit results in contentment. Contentment would be the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. Those things all combine together to, to make you content in your position in Jesus Christ. And as the Spirit works in you, the fruit he bears is all you need. You don't need a, more money or a bigger house or a nicer car or a better job. Or, uh, because you have what you need in Christ. You could say it this way, and I believe this is what Paul was getting at. You can tell a mature Christian based on their contentment level. It's a, contentment is the high mark of Christian maturity. And if you have godliness, then, and it's mature enough to produce something, it will produce contentment. That's something worth having. That's great gain. That's what Paul is saying. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4, and I want to just look at some verses over here as well. Philippians chapter 4. And we've, we've dealt with Philippians 4 even in this series, but 
But um, I want to read some of this from down through the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 10. Um, Paul is writing from Rome, and, and as we heard from, uh, uh, from Brother J.J., you know, he's chained to a Roman soldier. He's, he's, he's in Roman prison, if you will, uh, under house arrest. And while he's under house arrest there in, in Rome, um, the, the church at Philippi sends their pastor, which is, his name is Epaphroditus, they send him to Paul with a care package. So he's chained to a Roman guard. He's awaiting trial in Rome. And the church in Philippi says, we want to send a care package to Paul. And so they send it with their pastor, Epaphroditus. Now, I don't know about you. When I was in college, I loved care packages. My, my mom would send stuff from home. And I mean, back in the day, she would even make cookies and send me cookies in the mail and as a college kid, I didn't care what they tasted like. They were better than what I was getting in the calf. So three-day-old cookies were good enough for me. They were from mom. But care package is a special thing. It means a lot. And even if you can't use everything in the care package, the fact that in your mind you're thinking, somebody thought about putting this in this box for me. Somebody made, took the time to make this for me. That means a lot. And, and they did this for Paul. And while Epaphroditus was there, though... Um, if you, we're not going to read it, but it's earlier in the book of Philippians. He got so sick that he could have died. So here's Paul. He's in Rome. He's chained to a Roman guard. And Epaphroditus comes with a care package to bring him some, some things from the church at Philippi. And he gets so sick that he almost dies. So while he's recovering, then Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi so that when Epaphroditus come, gets back from being sick, he can take this letter back to the church at Philippi and read it. So, so just imagine then that you're the church at Philippi and maybe you got, you got together with, with the other folks in the church and you, you put, everyone put things in this. I, know, I don't know what the care package looked like, but, but you put things together to take to Paul. And now Epaphroditus comes back, your pastor is back, and he's got in his hand a letter from Paul, who very likely won most of you to the Lord. And so that's the situation. So just imagine then that you're hearing this and you're excited. Our pastor's back. He's reading a letter from Paul. And what is he going to say? Well, he says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last, verse 10, at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful but ye lacked opportunity. You were concerned to help me even when you lacked opportunity, but here you are again, meeting my needs. He says in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So he says, I have learned. He, and he says, now listen, I don't say this because I want more. I'm thankful that you sent this to me, but if you had never sent anything to me at all, I have learned to be content, care package or no care package. I've learned, and, and, and that word learn, it literally means educated. I've been educated. He could have said, I, I've been in the school of hard knocks. I've been up and I've been down and I've been through these hard times. And his phrase, whatsoever state, if you look up the Strong's, the, the Greek definition of that, it's a very broad term. It can, be, it can mean who, it can mean which, it can mean what, it can mean that. It really can mean anything. And basically the idea is whatever. I mean, whatever state. 
whatever position I'm in. I mean, he looks at the Roman guard, even chained to a guy like this. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. On a mountaintop, in a prison cell, in a ship going down in the middle of the ocean. I mean, I have learned I can be content. Verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased or brought low. And I know how to abound. Uh, I know how to have abundance. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. He says I can be content when it's bad and I can be content when it's good. And by the way, I, sometimes I wonder, based on what he says right here and based on my own experiences, sometimes I wonder if it might be harder to be content when things are going well. You know, because things are going well, and you think, well, things are going well, so things are just going to keep going well, and you start raising your expectations of life, and, and suddenly you find yourself, even in a good position with all your needs taken care of, being discontent. We've got to guard against that. As Americans with our needs met, we are just as prone to be discontent as somebody in a third world country with very little to their name. I would, I would even venture to say I wouldn't be surprised if the average teenager in America is, in America is less content than the average teenager in where Brother Ruckman's ministering in Africa. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me based on the trends of our young people, not in our church, but in our culture. It's hard to be content when you're abounding. Verse 13 uh, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. See, Paul says, all my sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, and we'll get back to those thoughts. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate or meet my needs. Uh, you've communicated with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. But even in Thessalonica, sent once and ye sent once and again unto my necessity. They, they sent all kinds of gifts to Paul. He was on their minds all the time. They were, they were very generous. Verse 17, not because I desire a gift. Now listen, he says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Great verse. We've looked at it already in this series. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all Amen. I love these letters from Paul. I love how it gets personal. I love how if you just read it, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can read my Bible because I'm trying to read my Bible and get it done, and I don't really stop to think about the details. It's like, man, this is really cool stuff. There's a church in Philippi, and they're sending care packages to Paul and helping take care of his needs, and nobody's taking care of his needs like, like this church is here. So imagine then the scene. Just imagine this. Imagine as the letter gets read and it's, being, and it's finished being read. And from the back, 
some older man stands up, okay? And I was going to point somebody else, somebody out from the back. So let's say Brother Mark will do. He's back in the back, okay? And let's say that Brother Mark stands up and, and, and says, can I give a testimony? And we say, sure. He says, let me just tell you a little story about Paul. See, I know firsthand that this beloved apostle is not just writing words. Because I was his jailer one night. I was his jailer and, and I was down at the prison and, and him and, and this other guy were brought in and, and I checked them in and I was mean to them like everybody else and, and I kind of threw them in their prison cell and I treated them like prisoners. But the whole time he was nice to me. The whole time he kept talking about somebody named Jesus telling me about a savior and I, I didn't want to hear it. I don't talk to the prisoners and I, I put him in his cell and, and shut the door and, and uh, walked away. Well, that night things were going just fine but, but around midnight, around midnight there was this big earthquake and everything started shaking and, and uh, I, when I finally realized what was happening, I looked down in down the hallway of that prison and or down into the the dungeon and I saw that all the prisoners had been released. Their shackles had come come off and and they're all if they wanted they could have walked away free. And I knew that if they did that that I would be a dead man. So I pulled out my sword and I was about to fall on my own sword and and take my own life because I knew what what would happen to me if all the prisoners escaped. And yet this man, Paul, ran up to me and said, no, 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 wait. And he stopped me from taking my own life. And and all I could do was say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because they had the whole time They'd been down there in the bottom of the prison in that dungeon and they weren't just sitting there, they were singing. And they weren't singing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. No, they were singing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth. And they were singing songs of praise. I mean... I made him stop when, after like the fourth time through Father Abraham. But besides that, the songs they were singing were great. And, they, and I just knew, listen, if they could sing in the bottom of a prison cell, I want what they have. And I'm not content to just let them walk away free because there's something different about those guys. And I said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told me about Jesus. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And I did. And then we went to my house. And we did. We all believed. And suppose the man in the back says, hey, everybody stand up. And about 20 people from his family stand up. And it's like aunts and uncles and cousins and grandkids and children. All these people stand up because in that 
because in that prison cell, who knows how many years before this, Paul chose in his darkest moment to be content. Paul, so what Paul's writing, he's, this man would say, what Paul is writing is not just lip service. Paul actually lives this stuff. And, and I watched him be content because in, even in the bottom of the prison cell, he was content with who he was in Christ and this person he kept talking about. And, and I'm like, you know what? I want to know that person. You know, and it makes me think that I wonder how many more people would be asking us to turn our phones down. I wonder how many people would be asking us. No problem. How could I be saved? Because they watch us go through something that nobody would want to go through. And yet the whole time in our spirit, we weren't singing, nobody knows. We were singing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. Instead, we're like, nobody knows. There's a big difference between those two spirits. See, one of those spirits in your darkest moment, one of those spirits will make people think, I don't really want what they have. But one of those spirits will say, when I face my darkest moment, that's the person I'm going to go talk to. And instead, as God's people with everything we could ever want or need from God, we are the ones complaining just like the world. And we're fussing and we're, we're, we're complaining. We're, be, we're Christian Karens. Throwing a fit when things don't go our way. And you know what? The world is not compelled to want what we have. Because there's no evidence of Christian maturity and it's all because we have a lack of contentment. You know what? It takes no work to be discontent. Your default position is discontentment. It's your natural default position. True contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ. Which means it's divine in nature. And if you have it, you will stand out from the natural condition of the average person. And so, I mean, I have a lot more message tonight. But I think we should stop right here and think about this. If the people around you have watched you go through your darkest moments, would they be drawn to the faith that you have? What is your response when you get another project dumped on you at work and you've already, you're already trying to keep your head above water. What's your response? Because the people in the next cubicle are watching that. What's your response when things don't go your way driving down the street? Meaning somebody else wants to get ahead of you or somebody else does something that you don't want them to. What's your response? Because someday we're going to have church stickers on our cars. And some of us may not should put them on our cars.
because people are watching those responses. Uh, and when you face that health trial that other people see, what's your spirit? When, you, when things don't go your way, what's your reaction? I mean, Paul in the, in the bottom of the prison cell in that dungeon was singing praises to God. And it compelled the people around him to say, I want what you have. You have an opportunity to be a witness through your contentment. But many of us blow that because we are just as discontent as everybody around us. Listen, what we need, and listen, and I'll probably talk about this again, but many times our response to the difficulties is like Eeyore. You know who Eeyore is, right? Oh, bother. That guy on Winnie the Pooh, okay? And, and listen, there's sometimes what Eeyore says sounds pretty okay. You know, he, he said, you know, basically, can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to deal with it. But listen, here's the difference in spirit. Listen, hey, we can't do anything about it. So we're just going to trust, we're just going to let it happen, trust the Lord. Or can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to trust God. Walking away, you know, kicking the, the step. There's a difference in the spirit. And one says, I'm content. And one says, I can't help my circumstances. And there's a big difference. One of them compels people to ask about Jesus. The other one says, I don't want what they have. And listen, there's a lot. We, we could go and we could preach the gospel all we want. But if our spirit is not one of contentment, people aren't going to buy what we're selling. Not that we're selling it. You know what I mean. Right. They're not going to buy into it if our spirit is the same as everybody else's. So I'm just asking you again, whatever trial you've been through, whatever difficulty and whatever hardship that you've faced, would people be compelled or repelled to Jesus Christ? And just to give you my own struggle with this today, because confession's good for the soul. Two years ago this week, Easter week, it was COVID, and I was looking at the radar, or the forecast, and Easter Sunday, snow, so four inches, five inches, I kept watching it creep up, okay, and the whole time, you know, we weren't meeting at that time, we were posting our messages online, and and we were watching them afterwards, which, by the way, is if you're the one on it, it's terrible. But so we were watching them later. And, and so we weren't meeting anyway. And I can't tell you how many people are like, Pastor, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you glad if this is the year a blizzard's going to happen on Easter? Aren't you glad it happened this year? And, and, and my wife will tell you, I woke up on Easter and it was like, it was Easter. And at least, you know, we weren't having services and we have a blizzard and it's like 10 or 12 inches and. Um, you know, it'll be three feet in a couple of years. Well, it keeps going up every time. But it was a lot of snow, wind blowing, snow blowing sideways. And my wife will tell you, Easter Sunday morning, I was mad the whole morning. I was just upset. Because in my mind, I was like, 
if it can happen this year, it's going to happen another year on Easter. The fact that it could happen made me mad. Have you looked at the weather for this week? For Sunday? I mean, one to three inches sometimes, or one inch, or 40% snow, now it's 70%. And we're, and we're not... We're not, live, we're not just live streaming this week. We're meeting in church. We're going to be here. And you know what? This morning, I, when I, I, since yesterday, I know it's awful. But I've been in a bad mood about it. And my wife would say, hey, man. <laughs> and I was so discouraged two years ago. And this week, I find those things creeping in and but as I sought the Lord this morning and I studied for this message, <laughs> I had to stop and pray, okay, Lord, snow on Easter is something that you knew about. And if I believe you're enough for me, then a blizzard could come. And I should still be able to say, whatsoever state, even South Dakota, whatsoever state I am therewith to be content if we have 10 inches of snow on Sunday or we have 3 inches or we have no snow it doesn't matter because my contentment level isn't based on those things our contentment is based on the God that we serve and Paul gave us some really good lessons to say it doesn't matter the circumstance it doesn't matter if you're in a prison cell. It doesn't matter if it's snowing on Easter. You must learn, as I have, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I can be full. I can be hungry. Here's why. Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And we need to get to that place, folks. And here's why. It's not just because... We either please God or we don't with our spirit, which we, that's a pretty important reason. But there are people watching us. For Paul, it was a Philippian jailer. For you, it may be the person that works next to you. Young people, for you, it may be the people that you go to school with. Parents, it's your children. Church members, it's the younger, newer church members that haven't been doing this very long and they're watching to see how we do things around here. You know, it's, it's, it's every position that you hold, every title that you have, every role that you play, every single day somebody's watching your responses to the tough circumstances. And we must start living out beyond our own emotions and say, you know what, if for no other reason, my responses are being watched by somebody that's lost. And if I want to in increase my ability to influence somebody for Christ, then I better say, you know, therewith, whatever state I am, I'm going to be content. And I'm going to say that Jesus Christ is enough for me. And no matter if it's hard or it's easy or it's great or it's bad, it doesn't matter. If it snows on Easter, I'm going to be content. Because I have enough in Jesus Christ. If the souls of people are dependent on it, that's another really good motivation to be content.
Let's stand. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have an opportunity to respond. And I hope that you would consider the roles that you play and your responses to your circumstances. And you would come to terms with the fact that your response in difficulty is as much a witness as anything else that you could say to somebody. And Paul with this Philippian jailer and his whole house, they were all saved because he chose in a dark moment to say, Jesus Christ is enough for me. So in what situations in your life do you need to come to terms with this and say, I need to be content, if not just for myself, for those that are watching me and taking their cues from me. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.